Hear now a reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, Amos's son, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains and will be lifted above the hills. People will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, Come, let's go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in God's paths. Instruction will come from Zion, the the Lord's word from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations. Then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation, and they will no longer learn how to make war. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk by the Lord's light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Jenna Mobley Kennedy, and I actually grew up in this congregation. I was baptized by Wiley Stevens. Hey, Ben. I was baptized by Riley Stevens in the library. Apparently, I wasn't that good of a baby, so kudos to you guys for taking a chance. I went to preschool across the street. I received my third grade Bible here. I got married in the chapel a few years ago. We always sat, I always sat with my grandmother on the fourth row on that side. So not to make it awkward, but you're sitting in my seat. But that's okay. We'll talk about it later. I met my two lifelong best friends here in the nursery, Lara Putman Rappold and Claire Hope Wallace, who I hope are behind me. There they are, good. It's always good when your friends stay to hear you preach, so that's a good sign. And of course, my father, David Mobley, and stepmother, Melinda Mobley, still attend here. And y'all have been a wonderful congregation and a faith community keeping them together. They keep trying to fall apart on me health-wise, but y'all are keeping them together. So I thank you for your prayers for them. I worked with Dalton and his wife, Stacy at Johns Creek Methodist and became friends with them both. I know Dalton and Julia both to be great pastors. So luckily, I'm not intimidated at all to be standing in this huge pulpit. I feel totally fine. But thank you for having me and welcoming me. So since many of you know my dad, a lot of you know that he is a great cook. He was actually on staff here a few years ago as the chef, hospitality person. He doesn't know. He cooked, I think, for Wednesday night suppers. He's a great chef. He passed that trade on to my older sister and my younger sister. Didn't give me that skill at all. I'm not mad. I'm just wondering why. (laughs) I think what happened is I'm my mother's youngest child and my father's middle child. And it turns out I'm happy sitting back and let people do things for me. So it's been working out so well. Until a couple of weeks ago, I realized that my dad was going to be out of town for Thanksgiving, my sister was going to be out of town for Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is my favorite meal. Cornbread dressing is my favorite food. Do not talk to me about stuffing. It's cornbread dressing, and my dad makes the best. So when I found out they were going to be out of town, all the cooks in my family, I went home to my husband and I said, we have two weeks to decide where we're ordering Thanksgiving dinner from. And we need to decide quick before everywhere is sold out. And he looked at me and he goes, 
why are you ordering it? I'm like, we've been married seven years, and nothing about what's happened in those seven years should make you think I'm cooking Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) And he goes, at some point, do you think you're going to learn to cook a turkey? Because you're 43. What are you waiting for? Now, here's a little tip for everyone younger than me out there. All of a sudden, you wake up and you realize you're middle-aged. I don't feel middle-aged. I feel like people should still be cooking Thanksgiving dinner for me. But apparently, when you're 43, people expect you to cook Thanksgiving dinner. So I made a few emergency calls to my father. I made a few Google searches. I Googled how to cook your first turkey. A YouTube video popped right up. That was two minutes long, and everything worked out fine. But I've been living with that question for a couple weeks, especially as we get to our first Sunday in Advent. I've been living with that question, what are you waiting for? Because I think Advent, as you know, is all about preparation, right? We're preparing ourselves for the birth of Christ. We're preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ. And if you're like me, the word preparing can sometimes be synonymous with the phrase, what are you waiting for? You see, I hate prep work. There are those of you out there who love prep work, and I am so thankful you are in this world. I hate prep work. I've been wanting to paint our den for three years, since the day we moved in. And you know why our den isn't painted? Because of that blue tape prep work you have to do. I don't want to do it. I love the beach. The beach is my favorite place in the whole world. And when you have a six-year-old, going down to the beach changes the way you look at things. Because parents, am I right? You have to get all the sunscreen. You have to get all the books. You have to get the cooler, all the towels. You're going to forget something. It's going to be hot. I don't like it. I don't like the prep work. But that's what this season is all about, the prep work, the prepping our hearts and our minds and our lives for the coming of Christ. Not only for remembering the birth of Christ, but those of us living on this side of the Easter story for the return of Christ. Which means living our lives as Christ calls us to. Which means living in this world and ushering in the kingdom of God bit by bit wherever we go. Sometimes at the end of the day, I look at my life and I look at what I've done that day and I have to ask my question, What am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? Our verses in Isaiah today begin with an invitation, an invitation to begin to live in this world of preparation. It's a call to actively participate in preparation. The verses start by saying, in the days to come, a future event, in the days to come. But then if you noticed, at the end of the verses Isaiah gives us today, It ends with an invitation to start. It says, come, let us walk by the Lord's light. Come, let us walk by the Lord's light. It starts with an invitation in the future, but it ends in a call to the now. Because I wonder if Isaiah was trying to tell us that maybe, just maybe, those days will only come if we actively participate in the prep work. Could God be counting on us right now to do the prep work for God's coming? 
And if so, I wonder if God is up somewhere shaking God's head going, what are you guys waiting for? What are you guys waiting for? As Joya said, I work for Action Ministries. It's a nonprofit ministry that has been around since 1963, started by Methodist preacher. My job there is to connect faith communities to the work that we do. And the work that we do is to eliminate poverty through housing, hunger, and education issues. And I was speaking to our board of directors the other week, and everyone on the development team was telling them how they were going to raise money. And it got to me, and I'm like, I'm a minister. I don't raise money. And <laughs> Janice thought that was funny. Thank you. <laughs> she knows me. But I looked at the board and I said, it's more than just raising money to serve clients. This is a kingdom issue. The work that we do is a kingdom issue. Because as long as there are brothers and sisters out there who are hungry, who have no place to call home, the kingdom is not being realized. As long as there are kids that go to school hungry, the kingdom is not being realized. So friends, I'm here to tell you, the kingdom is not being realized. And I think God may be shaking God's head saying, what are you waiting for? One of the ministries, Action Ministries does, is called Super Packs. And what that is, is a bag of six meals that counselors in schools have identified children who are food insecure. So the children who get free or reduced lunches during the week, who may not eat during the weekend, they, uh, the counselors slip one of these Super Packs into their backpack on Friday afternoons, and they have food to eat. I was talking to a principal who works at a school where they do super PACs, and she told me this story about transformation, about this second grader. And one day, he came into her office. He was brought there by his teacher because he was crying and he was being mean to all the other kids, and he wasn't having a good day. So the principal sat with him and talked with him, and finally he just said, I'm just hungry. She's like, why are you hungry? And he said, it wasn't my turn this weekend. And she found out that his mom had to choose each weekend which of the four kids got to eat. And it wasn't the second grader's turn to eat. The kingdom's not being realized. Another ministry, Action Ministries does at the Women's Community Kitchen. It's a kitchen in Midtown that's open Monday through Friday for lunch for free for women and children to come get a hot meal. And the last time I was there this summer, I sat down at a table and I sat next to an older woman who was there with what I, who I found out were her four grandkids, ages five to ten probably. And I started talking to her and I said, well, how often do you get to come get a meal here? She said, well, just Tuesdays and Thursdays, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, I'm at the doctor. I was like, okay. So we kept talking and then all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. You go to the doctor Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? And a little more conversation turned out her kidneys were failing. So she goes to dialysis Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, something the Mobleys know a little bit about. But then she said it's hard, though, because not every dialysis clinic takes the little insurance I have. So since I'm taking care of my grandkids in the summer, I get on the bus in the morning. We ride two and a half hours to the closest clinic that will accept me. 
I sit there for the hours of dialysis, and then she gets back on the bus with her four grandkids to take the two and a half hour trip back home. I thought about the other week. My child's in kindergarten and she's getting all the diseases and streps. And I thought about the other week when I got upset because we had to wait for 30 minutes to see our doctor. And I just handed them my insurance card and walked out. And I hear Isaiah's words ringing in my ear saying, come, let us go to the mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so he may teach us and we may walk in God's paths. And when I think of that woman and her grandchildren riding the bus three times a week for dialysis, and I think about the injustices just in our city, of how different our lives can be based on what card of insurance you carry in your wallet. And I realize the kingdom of God is not fully present yet. We must ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? So I'll end with a story of how I think walking in God's light actually looks. So this summer, my daughter May and I, who was five at the time, went to deliver lunches for another Ministry of Action Ministries called Smart Lunch, Smart Kid. I think y'all actually do this, where we feed lunches to 7,000 kids during the summer every day, those kids who are food insecure. So May and I were sent to an apartment complex just down the street from where we used to live, and I was telling May on the way, I was trying to explain to her not everyone gets food every day, so we're going to go feed these kids, and I want you to help out, and this is why we're doing it, because God loves everybody. And so we get there, and she was super excited to pass out those meals. So as soon as we start unloading the car, we're at this pavilion in the middle of the complex, and all of a sudden doors start opening, and kids' heads start peeking out. And they came, and they got in a long line so that they could get their lunch that day. And as soon as we started, a seven-year-old walked up named Elia, who asked if she could help pass out the lunches. She lived there, but she wanted to help, so... Elia and May stood together and passed out 300 lunches, brown bags. And they laughed and they had a great time together. And then when all the lunches had been passed out, there were two left. I said, Elia, did you get a lunch? She's like, not yet. I said, you know, you were such a great helper today. Why don't you take this extra lunch? Take it to your mom or whoever you live with. You are a great helper. And she took it. Then she looked at my daughter, May, and she goes, but she didn't get one. She goes, she should take this one. I'm like, no, we're good. She doesn't need that lunch. You take, I want you to take it. You're a great helper. She said, no, she should take it. So she gave my daughter that last lunch, and then they went to play together on the playground. That's walking in the light of God. Kids teaching us that we're all equals, whether you're giving the lunch or receiving the lunch. Kids who haven't learned yet that there are, indifference, there are injustices in this world that make us look at each other differently. But Elia taught me how to walk in the light of God that day. This is doing the prep work for Christ's coming. This is living in ways where we're preparing ourselves 
and our hearts for Christ, but not only just us, not only this beautiful sanctuary, but to everyone we meet outside these doors. Because I promise you, there are hungry children within a couple miles of here. And it may not be their turn this morning. So we have to do all we can to prepare the world to walk in God's light and take that light with us to those who are experiencing darkness, to those for whom light has never shined in their life. And we have to keep doing that wherever we are until all are fed, until all are housed, until children grow up to be adults who stand side by side as equals. That, that's the power of walking in the light of God's light. And this is what we're called to do. I invite you in these next four weeks as we are intentional about preparing ourselves to find ways to prepare yourself and your family and those around you. I know some of the kids were given Advent calendars that we put out this year that help families celebrate and prepare for Advent together. If you didn't get one, see Janice. She does everything, right? She's good. Find ways to volunteer. If you're at an age or stage in life where you don't leave your home much or you don't think you're physically capable, write someone a note to say you're thinking about them. So much of the darkness in the world these days is also loneliness and isolation. There's not one person in this room, I don't care how young, I don't care how old you are, that can't do something to walk in God's light. Your pastoral leadership has generously, as Joya announced, dedicated your Christmas Eve offering to Action Ministries. And I hope we're going to be working together to get some super PACs into a couple of schools around you to help end hunger for some children. Whatever it is, find a way to walk in the light. Find a way to help usher in God's light to those around you. Because next year when we gather on the first Sunday of Advent, we should not be asking ourselves the question, what are we waiting for? That question will already have been answered because we will be doing, we will be walking with God. Let us go and do now. Amen.